This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All right. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer and we'll just dive right in. Father God, I thank you so much for the gift of, of being a parent, Lord. What, what a joy it is to have children, to serve children. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for the parents and prospective parents uh, in this room. And I pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged tonight, Lord, that you would be present to speak to your people so that we might be equipped to enjoy the task of parenting. Do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a handout. I hope everybody got one of those. They're just spread around everywhere. And at the top of that handout is a quote from Andreas Kostenberger. For the first time in its history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning and terms of marriage and family. The cultural crisis that rages concerning the definitions of these terms is symptomatic of an underlying spiritual crisis that gnaws at the foundations of our once shared societal values. In this cosmic spiritual conflict, Satan and his minions actively oppose the Creator's design for marriage and the family and seek to distort God's image as it is reflected in God-honoring Christian marriages and families. So now, I think probably more than any time, uh, at least in a long, long time, it's important for us as Christian people to talk about what it means to be a Christian parent. And, and even to think about the foundational issues of marriage and family and, and parenting. We, we need to make sure that our understanding of these things are founded on God's truth that he's given to us in the Bible so we don't just get swept along with the cultural, cultural context that we're living in. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian when you are a sinner like me who is called by God to raise and care for little sinners like my children. Although my children are not li so little any, anymore, but, but we are called to, to serve them. And our Christian faith provides us with, with, with the truth that we need to do that in, in the right way. George Knight says, Only Christianity provides a sufficient framework in which to view the predicament of human existence. That is to say, the, the only way to have real answers, I think, for the glory and, and the pain of human life in this world is to look at God's truth in the pages of the Bible. So we made a theme for tonight that the next generation might know, and it comes from Psalm 78. So I'm just going to jump in right there to kick us off. Psalm 78, this is a, a, a teaching psalm. It's going to teach wisdom, and it's going to instruct us how to live and even, even how to parent. I'm just going to look at a few verses of it. The psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old things, that we have heard and known, 
that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So what is described here is God has saved a people for Himself and He has given to those people the message of good news of salvation and of how they are to live as His people. And then He has asked them to pass that on to their children and then to their children and to, to their children. So you, so you have here in all over the Bible, but, but right here in this poetic and worshipful description that you read in Psalm 78, 1 through 7, a, a, a presentation of the characters who are involved in the work of parenting. There's God and there are parents. And then, of course, there are children. And it is God's desire that we as parents tell our children all about him so that they might know him. That's that's ultimately the task of of parenting. We want our children to know God and more, more than anything. That's that's what we would want them to know. So since it's God who desires parents to teach children, uh, I thought that I might just talk briefly tonight about each one of those actors, if you will, in the parenting chain or the parenting process. God, parents, and children. Can't do a full-blown theology of each one, but just a little snapshot, and I hope it will help us be better informed about God's passion and God's heart for parenting our children. And I'm hoping that something that is, is thrown out tonight will be for you and your own parenting like, like a, a life preserver from the Lord that will help you in the challenging task of parenting. So let's begin with, with God. Seems like the very best place to begin. God, of course, is the creator and the redeemer, and he is a, a family builder. God created the family. He saves people from in our families. And he is building his own family. And he's telling us the story of how he does this in, in the Bible. Now, the Bible is an ancient book and, and a foreign book. Uh, and I say that because it was written, finished, uh, what, maybe a couple thousand years ago, almost. And before that, it was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different writers in two or three different languages. And there's all kinds of different genres in here. There's history and genealogy and poetry and um, all, all kinds of wisdom literature. And sometimes it feels a little bit like an encyclopedia or something. But the best way to understand your Bible is to think of it as, as a story, a true story. God, a good God, made the world. He created the world. That's the setting of the story. And then like every good story, there's a problem. And the problem is that the very first parents who lived rebelled against God and His way and plunged our world into all the mess that we're in because of their sin and rebellion against God. 
But then God in His kindness redeems this world by His grace and ultimately through the sending of His His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We are redeemed and one day everything's going to be put back together the way it is supposed to be with a new heaven and a new earth. That's the best way to understand the Bible. It is the story of of God saving people for himself. Now, as God does this, it is his desire to create a family story as well. God God created human beings. He created, of course, people, but he didn't just create people. God created a family. And he tells the story in Genesis one, he talks about creating, of course, Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 2, we get a, a few more details about the creation of, of, of the man and the woman. In Genesis 1, God is telling us how good the world is that he made. He said, it's good, 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 it's very good. And then we get into Genesis chapter 2. Now, Understand sin hasn't entered into the world. There's nothing wrong yet with the world that God made. And yet God kind of surprises us in Genesis chapter 2 when he says, not good. And what's not good is it wasn't good for the man to be alone. So God determines to make a helper fit for the man. And he makes a woman and gives the woman to the man. So God, in that first week of creation, before sin had ever entered into the world, created a family. This man and this woman are a family. By the way, you don't have to have children to be a family. If you're married, you're, you're a family. I know we, we talk that way, right? We say, well, when are you going to have a family? You might say that to a, a couple. Um, but you, you're a family when you're married. Uh, you're a family when you have children. If you aren't married, you're, you're, a, you're a family. We, we see this this. In uh, Adam and Eve's family, in fact, in Genesis chapter 4, they have a child. Eve says, with the Lord's help, I've brought forth a man. And here's this, this, this family. And God continues to work in families as the story of the Bible progresses. In Genesis chapter 6, we encounter the family of Noah. There's Noah and his sons, righteous Noah. And God saves them from the judgment of the great flood. In Genesis chapter 12, God focuses in on, on a single family, the family of, of Abraham. And he promises Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He, he says that in Genesis 12. And he repeats his promise in Genesis 15. And then he moves on to Abraham's descendant, David. And he tells King David in 2 Samuel 7, one day your offspring, someone descended from your family, is going to reign forever and ever. Of course, that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're introduced to Jesus in the New Testament. The very first chapter of the New Testament is a family genealogy talking about the family of, of Jesus Christ. But God, of course, as is often the case, is doing something bigger than what we might at first think. Because he's not interested primarily or mainly or only in biological families, but he is building for himself a family of redeemed people. And, and you, can, you can experience that all throughout the Bible, but one good place to see it is in Matthew chapter 12. 
Jesus is doing ministry. He's in a packed house. And he hears that his mother and his brothers are outside of the house. And the people tell him. And he responds with a question. Jesus liked to do that. He said to the crowd, Who are my mother and my brothers? And then gesturing to his disciples, he says, These are my mother and my sister and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God. So God is building a family of people who repent of sins and trust in him for for salvation. Jesus said to his disciples, teaching on, 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 on his coming death and resurrection and then the sending of the Holy Spirit after his ascension into heaven. In John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. God is bringing people into his his family. And in fact, the apostle tells us in Ephesians chapter one, that before the foundation of the world, God chose to adopt his people, all of us who have believed into his family. And the the apostle John proclaims this in a very worshipful way in his his third chapter of of first uh, John, he says, behold, what manner of love the father has given to us that we would be called children of God. So God created people and God created families and God loves families and he works in families and he is even building from people from all different backgrounds, all different biological families, all different nations, all different ethnicities and races and socioeconomic status and so on. God is building all of these people into his family, into the family of God. So the Bible is best understood as a story of a creator God who's redeeming the world, and it is a family story as well. It's very significant, actually, because, you know, There's a lot of tumultuous things going on in the world right now. And certainly in the history of the world, there's been all kinds of trouble. And we see that governments come and go and nations rise and fall and all sorts of fine institutions are established and they grow and then they eventually collapse. But I would suggest to you that the demise of the family really is greatly over-exaggerated because God has been working in families in parents and children and grandchildren from the very beginning and throughout the centuries. And that means that as parents, you are involved in a very significant thing, in a very significant task. I I wouldn't want any of us to miss, you know, Kostenberger, the, the quote we began with, he uses words like spiritual cosmic conflict. I like that kind of stuff. I don't want you to miss the fact that you are involved in some powerful, spiritual, cosmic activity as parents. What what you are doing as parents is a very significant thing. Now, uh, moms and and dads too, I know it doesn't always feel like it when you're doing the diaper thing, okay? Maybe you don't feel like you're involved in something so significant, but it is a significant work and God uses parents in all kinds of ways. So at its heart, the Bible is the story of how God makes a way of salvation in Christ. And God is the one who created the family and defines 
the family. So if God made the family and feels strongly about the family and has a lot to say about the family, then we need to listen to what he says in his book about the family. And if God is working in families, you might just, you know, maybe later tonight or tomorrow when you have your, your, your prayer time or whatever, ask, ask yourself the question, how, how is God working in my family? What, what's God doing in my family? Where, where am I in the, in the story of redemption that God is telling? Where are my children in that story right now? So that's our beginning. God is the creator, redeemer, and family builder. And now parents. Parents are spouses, rulers, and disciple makers. Sure, I could have said that better, but you know, creativity is like really at a premium with me, so I'll do the best I can. Parents are spouses, rulers, disciple makers. Now, that is parents are normally spouses. There are many single parents faithfully leading their families, leading their children. Thank God for these parents. We encourage uh, these single parents and cheer for them and want to do all that we can to, to support them as they serve and lead their families. So very grateful for the many sacrifices that single moms, single dads make for their kids. But the reason I want to say parents are spouses is because that good parenting is served so well when the marriage relationship comes first, if, if you're married. Good parenting is served well when the marriage relationship comes first. It was first in, in, in creation. God made the man and the woman. We already looked at that, Genesis 2. It's in Genesis 1 as well. He, he didn't make children first. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but he could have made a child first have a couple of little toddlers in the garden. I guess they would have been safe there, right? And they would have, could, have, could have grown up, and then they would have been grown-ups, and then they could have become a couple. But he didn't do it that way. He made a mom, and he made a dad. Got that out of order, but that's what he did like that. And uh, so it's first in creation. It, it's first kind of in relation. I mean, I, this sounds a little bit like a biology lesson, but you really got to have a mom and a dad to have a, a child. Um, and you see that all over the Bible, of course. Uh, it's first in Scripture presentation. Maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, but I'm not uncomfortable saying that when you look in Colossians chapter 3 and in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 5, you're going to find a logical order laid out, and it's going to be uh, here are the roles of a husband and the roles of a wife. And this is how they interact with their children. It's laid out just, just like that. God in the scripture is prioritizing marriage. This means that after God, your spouse is your number one priority. I'm going to say that a second time. I know this isn't marriage night, but after God, your spouse is your number one priority priority human relationship okay this is a very scriptural thing and it's a very important thing it, it's important for us to talk about it because it's so easy to get it wrong i mean i, I can't really tell you I, I if i had time i could tell all kinds of stories like so many times as a uh, school principal i would sit across from 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 a parent or parents and I would hear one of them say, 
It was usually the mom. Not, I don't mean to pick on you moms. Sometimes it would be the dad. They would say, no one is more important to me than my kid. No one is more important to me than my daughter. And lots of times I would listen to, you know, a mom say this and I would look over at her husband sitting next to her and I'd think, sorry for you, pal. You know, I mean, I, I, this, is, this is messed up. You know, it really is. And your, your relationship with your spouse, and we're talking about parenting, okay? Your relationship with your spouse is your number one human relationship. And from the strength of that married relationship, you are are equipped to effectively serve the children. Okay? And, and if, if you get it out of order, it doesn't work the way it's designed by God to work. It's very, very important. Most of us uh, parents, we just, we just get so busy and we find ourselves ministering to our kids and serving our kids. And, I, you know, I, I know the mass might not be in favor of this priority when it comes to sheer hours. Uh, you know, we got one parent at home maybe caring for the kids, another parent in the workplace, or both the kids are in school or whatever. Uh, so I know the math can be a challenge, but clearly we need to remember that our spouse is our number one priority. If your marriage relationship is hurting, then your parenting probably is too. It's just a reality. Now, it's not... Parents versus kids, all right? Or your spouse versus your kids. The best way to love your kids is to love your spouse. Does that make sense? Okay, I think we're getting it. Uh, and I want you to get it because it's so important. It's important in my life. And, uh, you know, work is always important. I've spent most of my career in the ministry. It's always important. It's always important. And it's uh, so easy to get things out of order. For, for many years, I would pray every day on, on my prayer list like this. I would pray, and now I still do it about once a week. Lord, I pray that Jesus Christ would be the king of my home. Now, I pray this because I'm not good at it, all right? So I'm not lifting myself up as an example. I'm praying to God to help me do this, right? Lord, I want Jesus Christ to be the king of my home. And after that, I want to love my wife, Jennifer, like Christ loved the church. And after that, I want to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And after that, I'm going to do everything else. You, you hear that order? It's so easy to get it wrong, right? And your parenting won't be right if you get that wrong. It won't, it won't be. So, so that's why I'm opening. It's kind of weird, I guess, to say uh, parents are spouses, but this is why I'm, I'm doing it. Strong parenting flows from a strong marriage relationship. All right. Next thing, parents are rulers or governors. Couldn't decide how I wanted to say it. Uh, parent, as a parent, you play a lot of different roles in the life of your child. You're, uh, sometimes you, you're a nurse, you know, or you're a coach, or you're a playmate, uh, you're a tutor. You know, we could probably make a pretty long list. I hope that you have on your list somewhere governor or ruler and when when i say parents are rulers i i don't mean that they don't fill a many many different roles and i don't mean that parents are absolute rulers or despots who can do whatever they like parents serve under the lord but the reason i want to emphasize this is because i think the scripture does and i think that the world that we live in does not do this 
And so I, I like to go around saying this to people because I feel like there's not very many people who are going to say this to you. And so I'm speaking real broadly. I think Mike's going to talk about details of disciplining and, and, and so on. So you'll get that. I'm just going to give you a, a broad uh, sort of a picture here. Parents are rulers in their home. Each of the Ten Commandments is uh, given actually as kind of an, uh, an example, really, from which you can expand uh, a broader understanding of how to live in this world and how to behave in this world. We know this because this is how Jesus treats the Ten Commandments. He says, so you think you aren't a murderer, how about when you insult your brother? When you do that, you are guilty of murder. You think you're not an adulterer? If a man looks lustfully at a woman, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. So you, you see what Jesus is doing there? That's the sixth and seventh commandment. Well, the fifth commandment, favorite commandment of parents everywhere, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment, people who do biblical ethics tell us, theologians tell us, from this commandment we get all sorts of human authority. Think about it. The very first government in the world was in the home of Adam and Eve. And they had some problems, like all governments do. Okay, But that was the very first government. Parents are rulers in their homes. Now, what kind of role does government play Romans 13 is a great place it's in your notes you can look it up later but a great place to go to understand the role of government governments exist to honor those who do good and to punish those who do evil now I know this is not all that you are up to as a parent okay parenting involves so much more than that but I do want you to walk away with these categories you are a governor mom or dad in your home and as a governor one of your tasks is to honor those who do good and to punish those who do evil governments have authority authority is authorization for the appropriate use of power let, me let that let that sink in for a minute i see it feels a little weird to get that authority is authorization for the appropriate use of power i think it's on the paper yeah yeah try to stay focused john okay. I'm just, yeah, just and uh or how about this no this this helps me actually uh we heard it from our parents right yes i can and i will make you right that's that's parental authority and it's it's god-given and and it's given in in love so you can parent your your children. Authority figures should be treated with respect. Therefore, children should respect their parents. So I realize that yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please, thank you. These are cultural things, okay? So you don't have to do all of that. Although we do. <laughs> We're all very Southern. But anyway, you don't have to do all that. But your children should treat you with respect because you are an authority in their life. And they're going to learn about authority from you. They're going to learn how to, obey, how to obey their teacher and how to obey a policeman and, and how to uh, work with their boss and so on from you. They're going to learn about all governing authority from you. And so one of our responsibilities and roles as a parent is to teach them that. 
parents have not only the right, but the responsibility of enforcing order in their homes. And that, by the way, is a key ingredient to happiness in the home. It really is. Like, like uh, we've had many rough times in the history of our family uh, as parents and kids and so on. Um, but we've sure had a lot of happy times, you know, where your home is it's just a happy place to go to. I love to be at my home. I love to be at home uh, with the kids and with Jennifer. And uh, some of that is, is because my wife, I'll pick on her, she rules well in our home. And it's a happy home. Um, so there's many blessings to understanding this, this point. All right, I better move along. Parents are disciple makers. You know, immediately after God uh, gives the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, it's the pinnacle of the Old Testament law. It begins uh, with God's grace, of course, before he gives those commandments. If you ever memorize the Ten Commandments, always memorize the preface to the Ten Commandments first. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the household of slavery. Therefore, and then he gives the Ten Commandments. God's grace comes first. So we're not saved by obeying his commandments. But God has saved the people of Israel. He gives them these Ten Commandments. I've saved you. Here's how we're going to live in a relationship with one another. And immediately after that, Moses, inspired by God, instructs parents to raise their children to love God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. These commandments shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children. It's right there, right away. God wants us to pass our faith on to our children. We saw the psalmist talk about it in Psalm 78. The apostle does it. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is the first commandment with a promise. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word fathers, pater, I think it's significant that it says fathers because it's not the woman's job to bring up the kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Paul uses the word father right there. Now, also the word can refer to parents, fathers, and mothers to bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, but moms aren't off the hook but dads are responsible for the nursery, just like mom would be. Our hope is to, to see this pattern that Paul highlights in 2 Timothy. He's talking about Timothy, and he refers to Timothy's faith, which was first in his mother and in his grandmother. So, so these generations are trusting uh, the Lord. So parents have the responsibility of teaching their children about the Lord. Now, and it's not about being perfect. It's about being honest and sharing the gospel. Our children learn from our mistakes. We didn't read verse 8 of Psalm 78, but the reason uh, the psalmist is wanting the parents to tell the children about the great deeds of the Lord is so that they will not be a stubborn and rebellious generation like the fathers were. Okay, so, so we, you know, we're not to be perfect as parents. We want to pass on the gospel to our children. We would say, you know, I, I'm a sinner. I was a sinner. I really think, um, 
some of my kids are here. <laughs> I really think I didn't tell my kids my testimony enough when they were growing up. And they only knew me as, as a guy trying to be a pastor, right? And not as the wretched, reprobate sinner that I was before I knew Jesus Christ. You know, not that we want to glamorize that, but I want them to know that we're saved uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. We want our children to grow in Christ. So build all kinds of routines into your family life so you can teach your children about the Lord. just want to make a note about schooling and running out of time. So I got some great, great quotes for you there. My, my point in the quotes is, is just to, to highlight that, that we want to be sure when our children are learning that they understand there is a Christian way to view the world. And we need to teach them that Christian way to view the world. And as your pastors here at the church, we will do all that we can to help teach that and talk about that and talk about the great God who made the world. Notice I did it already tonight, right? God created the world and He saves the world. And one day He's going to put things back together. We want our kids to know this whole Christian world and life view and, and we, your pastors, will do all we can to help with that. But this is ultimately a parental task. Parents are primarily responsible for their children's education. Christian parents should not be naive about the philosophical and ideological influences in their children's schooling. Because just like there's a whole Christian way to look at the world, there's a whole not Christian way to look at the world also. Right? We do know that. And, and so beware of that. Wise Christian parents will help their children develop a Christian world and life view. Now, notice, those three bullet points are all true whether you send your children to public school, private school, Christian school, or homeschool. It's true in every case. Christian parents have a lot of work to do in each case. I do think if you send your kids to public school, you're going to need to do more work outside of school hours. You just, you're just going to have to do more work because you, you are responsible to teach them about Jesus Christ. And you want them to know the truth about Christ and about the world that He made. So parents, I think, need to be careful not to overestimate or underestimate the importance of schooling. Here's what I mean. You see the little chart there? So that square is your kid's whole life experience, right? And you as mom and dad, until they're grown, you are shepherding and overseeing that life experience. And within that life experience, they're learning. All kinds of stuff by playing and so on. Within that, they're, they're getting educated. You know, you're giving them books at home, you're taking them to the library, and so on. Within that, they're doing some specific training. You know, you're teaching them to do something at the house, maybe. Or maybe you're getting them to, to learn to write their letters. Or maybe you're teaching them how to clean up the bathroom or whatever. They're getting training. So there's all this life learning taking place that you are supervising as a parent. Notice the small slice that is schooling. Okay? Now, I don't want you to overestimate the importance of schooling. You see how it's a small slice? It would be easy for you to think, well, my kids are homeschooled or my kids go to a Christian school, 
So everything's good. Right? It's not right. You, you are responsible for this huge square of your kid's life, right? And you need to be shepherding them and, and praying to God for them so that they would know, uh, know the Lord. And that schooling is just a piece of it. It's just a piece of it. So don't miss the importance of your role. You have, to say you have an outsized role in the, the, the life of your child is an understatement, okay? You are responsible. Every teacher knows this. They teach still, I think, any teachers in the room? In loco parenthesis, you, you are in the place of a parent. You know it even if you're a teacher. You're just subbing in for mom and dad. They're the ones who are re- responsible. Now, don't then overestimate the importance of schooling, but don't underestimate it either. Because that little slice could be like a dagger in your kid's life if you are not on the ball. You need to be aware of what they're being taught. And and make sure that you are teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. i got so much more I want to say about that, but I'm going to do this last point. Number three, children are gifts, givers, and guilty. Uh, Children are a gift. Psalm 127, it's just one of my favorite psalms. It's a great psalm to pray too. You pray for your family. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I just pray, Lord, build our house. Make our house a a place where Christ rules. And uh, you get this wonderful uh, verse, verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a gift. Parenting is hard, but children are a gift. They're a reward. Jesus models honoring children. Parents wanted to bring their children to Jesus. The disciples are like, Jesus is too important for kids and so on. And uh, Jesus becomes angry. He's angry. It's the same word used in the New Testament when he's driving the money changers out of the temple. He is angry because the disciples are preventing children from coming to him so he can bless them. Children are a gift, but children are also givers. They they really contribute. Both of these things the world gets wrong, right? This this is why we've had 50 million abortions since 1973, because we get it wrong. Children are a gift from the Lord, and children are also givers. They are contributors to the world that we live in, and they contribute to the life of the family. They, 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 they adorn the life of the family with joy and beauty and happiness. And then as they grow, they support the life of the family by pitching in and helping out and all kinds of things. The family is expanded because children come in into the family. So they're a gift and they are givers. And uh, our children have been such a blessing. You know, the, uh, the girls had to go out this afternoon and uh, I had to clean the kitchen. And I thought to myself, I'm so spoiled. I never do this. I don't know if I even know how to do this. You know, just our kids, they, they just are so very active in helping our family. Last thing, sounds a little bit creepy, but children are guilty. So I, I was trying to use G's, you know, trying to make up for uh, those other kind of badly worded points. So, yep, there you have it. Children are guilty. Here is a quote from uh, Paul Tripp. To the degree that you forget you are a sinner, you, are un- you will underestimate your daily need for Christ. So why would I say such a harsh thing? 
It's because I don't want children to miss out on the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I've sat at, at school. I've, I remember sitting with one of our teachers. She was an excellent teacher, one of the best. She says to me, I'd never tell a kid that he was a sinner. And I thought, well, if you don't tell him he's a sinner... You can't tell them about Jesus Christ. You know, you, so we're, we're all sinners and we need to recognize that. If a child is born pure, innocent, and good, then he or she doesn't need appropriate discipline and care from a parent. If a child is born pure, innocent, and good, then parents should follow children rather than children following parents. And I think we live in a world where there are a lot of parents following children instead of children following parents. And it needs to be the other way around. What does the Bible say about the spiritual condition of children? They're sinners, just like everyone. There's no one righteous, no, not one. We are like dead people in need of resurrection by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We are sinful from birth, Psalm 51, which we just read last week if you're doing the everyday Bible. We're not neutral before God. Romans chapter 5 tells us we live as God's enemies before we know Jesus Christ. So, we need to recognize that our children have the same spiritual problems that we do and that they need a Savior like we do. And, we, and, and you know, it's helpful because we shouldn't be surprised by our children's sinful actions and we should plan our parenting to curb and control those actions while we share the gospel with them. I said a whole lot and I uh, would love to answer your questions if you want to text them in or you can shoot me an email Stephen at cckchurch.com. But I do want to leave you with this. You as a Christian and as a Christian parent, whatever you are facing, have 10,000 reasons to be hopeful because of Jesus Christ. It's a quote from Jay Adams at the very bottom of the page there. Hope in the Scriptures is a confident expectation. The word hope never carries even the connotation of uncertainty that adheres to our English term as when we cautiously say, I hope so. There is no hope so about the biblical concept. When Paul wrote Titus about the blessed hope, for instance, he was urging him to look forward to the happy expectation of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've a thousand times a thousand reasons to hope as we do parenting, and to hope also that as the Lord has saved us, He will save our children as well by calling them to repentance and faith in Christ. So let me pray, and then we'll take about 10 minutes uh, before Mike gets up. Father, thank You so much for all the hope we have in Christ. Thank You that You made the family, Lord. Thank You that You've given us the awesome and wonderful task of parenting. Thank You that You've given us the gift of children, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, but we also plead our need for you, Lord, to save our children. We pray, Father God, that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 694 4356. 
We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.